Sunday Sermons from Trinity UMC in Lincoln, a podcast to help on the faith journey. Now on to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Slater. How do you react when you get bad news? I want to share a story this morning. This is actually the first time. You know, as preachers, we have stories from our life that sometimes we use many times. This is a first for this one. (laughs) Uh, But it's about a time when I received some bad news, and it surprised me how I reacted to it. Uh, I'll I'll tell you what happened. This uh, was earlier uh, as a pastor. Both my wife and I were serving um, more or less rural churches, uh, and uh, with uh, that meant long country drives. And I was also in the practice in those days of turning my phone all the way off, you know, that was a sign. It wasn't so much about not having it make noise in the middle of worship, though, you know, that's nice too. It was more about saying that that's not why I'm here. All the distractions I'm setting aside for a few moments. However, much to my surprise, when the service was over and I turned my phone back on, I had a message that my wife had been in a car accident while driving between her two churches. Now, how do you think I reacted to this? I'm a believer that everybody uh, can benefit from seeing a therapist, from seeing a a counselor from time to time. And this is one that I kind of had to work through because I carried around a a lot of guilt. Do you know how I reacted? I went and checked my email. (laughs) And I said, well, why did I check my email? Don't I care? What am I, some kind of unfeeling person? Uh, And as as I talked with the therapist and, you know, finally worked it out, I realized that there was nothing I could have done in that moment. I mean, it was a long ways away from where I was. The message itself was 45 minutes, uh, 45 minutes old already. What I needed was a, was, was a deep breath. <laughs> you know, it wasn't so much my email was a checking. That was like some kind of default thing to do. What I needed was to step back for a moment and take a deep breath and then be ready to call my wife and see what happened. As it turns out, as you might guess, she was fine. And it wasn't, it wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, but it surprised me how I reacted to bad news. So how do you react to bad news? Are you one who, who leans in? Are you one who charges, like a fight or flight thing? Are you one who goes into fight mode and charges into the situation? Or are you one who runs away or who denies the bad news? Like, oh, oh it can't be that bad. Is that your first reaction? Or are you one who freezes up and doesn't have a reaction to bad news? You know, in the end, I don't suppose any of us quite knows how we'll react if something big were to happen. But um, I don't know. I think it's worth thinking about from time to time. And today I bring it up because the disciples are once again wrestling with what's about to happen. And it was bad news. And their reaction is, hmm, well, you'll see as we go along. (laughs) We're doing a series right now called John, the Gospel of Light and Life. And in it, we're uh, reading through the Gospel of John together. Uh, As many of you have heard uh, already and have been following along, we made these bookmarks that have the Gospel of John divided up uh, for uh, to read just a little bit each day of the week during the season of Lent. Uh, And I've got all my little ticks on there as I've been reading through it myself. Uh, What did we just? We just finished uh, John 14. And this, uh, this week we head into John 15 on the back side. I'll tell you, if you haven't been doing it, this is the perfect time to join, not only because it's the flip to the back, <laughs> but also because we're just heading into the climax and the heart of the story. And if you join now, uh, you'll be able to see all of that. And... Uh, 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 and we'll also have a, a passage this week that always uh, affects me, and that is when Jesus prays for his disciples. 
you know, those who, uh, those who love and uh, uh, learn and grow in the spirituality know that Jesus always prays for us. But something about reading actual words of Jesus praying for us always touches me. So uh, follow along and that'll come on, what would that be, Friday and Saturday this week. Uh, you will get to that point. Now, part of what I said last week was that as we read the whole of John's gospel, one thing you can't deny is that five whole chapters are given to the Last Supper. When the disciples go into the upper room where uh, Jesus begins this institution of communion, uh, but says so much more than that. And in a book that's only 21 chapters long, Five chapters is a lot. That's almost a quarter of John's entire gospel is about one conversation. (laughs) Now, granted, it's a long one, but that's a lot to dedicate to it. And I think there's a reason, because Jesus spells out so much of why he's there and the meaning of everything that had happened to that point. And uh, in my reading, or at least in my mind's eye, almost a sense of well, desperation might be too strong, but there's a sense of urgency, that that's the word, urgency that Jesus has, knowing that this is his last face-to-face conversation with his disciples before the cross and wanting them to understand as best as they, they, they possibly could and to have all the tools that they need. And there's that sense of urgency to say what needs to be said and to call them to be their best selves with what's to come. Now, I got a message from one of you last week. Uh, I'm not going to name names, but I got a message from one of you saying, at what point during the meal does Jesus have them all go on the same side of the table to take that really good picture? <laughs> Surely that joke has been used other places, but to me, that's a Mel Brooks reference from History of the World Part 1. So, uh, uh, applause for that. <laughs> So what's happening now, uh, I, we started this last week with a foot washing, but this week we continue and what's happening uh, once again is that the disciples are reacting to this bad news. Jesus has dropped hints, he's even said outright that he's going to die, but it never really seems to quite sink in with his disciples and now he knows this is his last chance to get that message through and the disciples are reacting to it. Nobody likes bad news. Good Friday is probably the least attended service of the year. See, I'm trying to guilt you all into coming to Good Friday, right? (laughs) So why do you think John sets us in this bad news moment for a quarter of his gospel? Why do you think Jesus spent so much time on it himself? There's a term, I didn't realize when I wrote this, this is kind of a psychology-heavy sermon here, (laughs) but there's a term psychologists use that when I first heard it seemed too obvious and too simple to be useful to me. (laughs) Then I realized that it's uh, profoundly useful, and that is cognitive distortions. Cognitive distortions are when our minds take some simple fact and make a mountain out of a molehill or turn it into something that it's not, like jumping to conclusions is one of the cognitive distortions. There's a whole list of these online you can find. One of them is discounting the positive. It's like when we think only about the problems that are in the world, but fail to see the good that's happening in the world too, discounting the positive. It's distorting the facts that are actually out there. 
that we do that with ourselves too, don't we? we uh, uh, most of us have a tendency to think more about what's wrong with ourselves than we do about what's right. <laughs> Discounting the positive is a cognitive distortion. Another one is personalization. That's when somebody says something that maybe it's just because they're, they're having a bad day or something, but we take it as being about us. You know, we make it overly personal. Or maybe you're trying to get the app on your, your phone to work and you can't get it to work, and so you think, this phone hates me. <laughs> That's personalization, right? <laughs> and and it's, a, it's a distortion of what is actually going on in the world. But I think the most common one, especially in parenting, now, I say that as, an, uh, as a uh, parent of young children myself right now, uh, and I just forgot, my, Sam's back there, uh, he'll probably be listening, but I do it too here, so I'll tell you, catastrophizing, that's when you say something like this, if I have to eat this asparagus, I'll die. To which, to be fair, my kids usually say, no, you won't, Dad, you'll like it. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> You know, that's catastrophizing. We take something that's actually not that big of a deal, and it, it seems like a way bigger deal in our head. And of course, there's reasons we do this. But there's another term that's related to it that I just love, and that is awfulization. Now, any guesses what awfulization is? <laughs> and I swear that's a real word. You can, you can Google it later if you want. Awfulization. That's when any obstacle or undesired thing in our lives focus, uh, causes us to focus on what's unpleasant about it. It's going to be awful. That's, it's a subtle difference from catastrophe. It's not if I eat this asparagus, I'm going to die. It's more like if I have to eat these peas, the flavor is going to linger in my mouth and ruin my whole evening. <laughs> it's going to be awful. It's going to be awful. I actually call them little green balls of pus, by the way, so. <laughs> no, I'm being hard on vegetables. Just for the record, I love broccoli. There are lots of vegetables I love, just, just, just not asparagus and peas. <laughs> but do you see the difference between catastrophizing and awfulizing something? Catastrophizing is, awfulizing is when one negative look on someone's face ruins your whole day. It, it, it's when you focus on what's, uh, on, on what's awful. You know, it, you know it's not the end of the world. You just focus on the bad part of it alone. Now, to be fair, Jesus in the Last Supper is headed for a truly awful time. <laughs> now, everything about the cross really is awful. So there is justification for a little bit of awful thinking here. But Jesus knew that death itself, not the dying, but death, is not what most people think it is. It's not what most people fear. And he knows that for him, it will be the gateway to bringing salvation and to bringing life and to bringing flourishing to the entire world. But his disciples now, his disciples can't see that yet. Even though he's told them, they can't see it yet because they can't get past the awful. They can't get past the awful part. And I think we can forgive them when, when, they, when, when they react the way they do. You know, Jesus says, peace be with you, and they can't see past the awful. So, so to them, when they hear the words, peace be with you, they think, well, how can we have peace, Jesus? You're about to go to the cross and die a terrible death. What are we going to do without you? It will be awful. 
when Jesus says, uh, you know, some of the things Jesus says doesn't, doesn't really help a whole lot. Like one of them is he says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. That, that's not helping with the awfulizing Jesus. It might be true and useful in other cases. But the disciples' minds are distorting what Jesus knew to be the truth. That there was something bigger going on than the one part of it that admittedly is pretty awful. The whole of it, though, is actually quite good and quite glorious. And so he's sitting there trying to do everything he can to communicate this to them because he knows that it's his last chance to do so before the awful time comes. Now, I want to give credit to another preacher whose name I don't remember, unfortunately. <laughs> so maybe, maybe the credit is due to God. That's how I'd want it to be if somebody uh, borrowed something from one of my sermons. But it's a great metaphor to think about what Jesus is doing, on, doing here. And that is that it's a pep talk. Now, when a game is going badly, it's easy to awfulize. You know, when a football game or a basketball game or a baseball game is going badly, every little mistake, every little error or fumble that happens seems just awful. <laughs> it seems awful because you're losing, it's setting you further behind. And for that matter, when you're losing, even the successes seem awful because, well, okay, that was good, but it wasn't enough. <laughs> Somehow, even the successes manage to be awfulized when we're losing. But Jesus, the coach in this metaphor, is looking at the other team's lineup. And being an experienced coach, he knows that the game is going to get worse before it gets better. He's just being honest. He's looking at the lineup they're about to face, and the game is going to get worse. But Jesus, the master coach, is also a master strategist. And he knows that though it's going to be one heck of a rough quarter, he knows that the season, they're going to win. <laughs> he knows that they're going to win the season. They just have to get through a rough quarter to get there. They just have to get through the rest of this game, which is admittedly going to be rough. And so his job as a coach in this moment is to help his disciples, who've already been through a rough half, to see this and to see that they need to keep playing, that they need to keep doing the things that they know are right. They need to keep playing the right fundamentals because if they do, the awful quarter isn't the end of the season. The season's already won. He's saying we barely held it together in the first half and this second half is going to be worse. But it won't always be this way. And then he says... I need you to go out there and play like this. This is my commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. No one has greater love than to give up one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I don't call you servants any longer because servants don't know what their master is doing. Instead, I call you friends because everything I heard from my father, I have made known to you. Now, this isn't some kind of wishy-washy love. This isn't some kind of feel-good love. This is a 
abiding love. This is the kind of love that washes one another another's feet. And if you don't know the whole of what I mean that by that, go listen to last week's sermon. This is the love of a perfect parent who will not give up on their daughter even when she makes bad choices. This is the kind of love that no earthquake can shake. This is the kind of love that endures rough games because it knows the season is won. Jesus knows that he's about to be uh, th- that he's about to be betrayed by one of those friends sitting around this table. But he knows that if his team goes out there and plays with resentment toward Judas, he knows that with what is about to happen, if they let vitriol build in their hearts, or let me just say it bluntly, if they don't continue to love, then there is more more that's lost than just the quarter. No, they need to go out and they need to love as Jesus loved. They need to love as servants and as friends. They need to love sacrificially. And that's the kind of play that will see see them through to the season that is already won. And Jesus continues just after this part with something else that I'll bet anything you need to hear today. He said, look, you didn't choose me. You didn't come and ask to be my disciples. (laughs) No, I chose you. I came and chose you to follow me. I came up to you. I saw what was good in your hearts and I called you. You are going to bear fruit. Even if you can't see it now, you'll bear fruit because that's how I made you. And you will never be as alone as you think because my spirit will be with you, my helper, my advocate, my comforter will be with you even when things get awful and you see me no more. You know what the difference is between catastrophizing and awfulizing? Now, this is, this is heady. Think about it a second. You know what the difference is? Catastrophizing is when something bad happens and you think this is the end of it all. This is just done. This is the, this is the end of it. We might as well just go home. That's catastrophizing. This is a disaster. Awfulizing, though, is focusing on the part that's going to be bad. But there's still hope. Do you hear it in there? Catastrophizing is saying, this is all done. We might as well go home. But awfulizing is saying, is focusing a little too much on the bad part. Yes, yes. But awfulizing leaves room for the fact that the awful won't have the last word. Awfulizing leaves space in there so that we know, yes, we're focusing too much on the bad but we know that it won't last forever. We know that the awful thing isn't going to be the end of the story. We can't help but focus on it sometimes. We can't help but be afraid of the awful. But we also know that on the other side of the awful isn't catastrophe, but the risen Christ. We know that on the other side is not disaster but renewal and life and hope and love as it's supposed to be. 
we all have a tendency to awfulize sometimes. And sometimes we're right. Awful things do happen in life from time to time. Not nearly as often as we fear, mind you, but they do happen. But in some sense, it doesn't matter how things turn out in the short term. It doesn't matter how rough this quarter is going to be. Because our response is the same. We love each other with the same kind of abiding love that Jesus shows to us. It means we don't walk by the foot-washing basin hoping somebody else will do it. But instead, we take the position of grace, the position of servitude to each other, to our friends, and to Jesus, our friend. And when things really do get awful, we remember that we're not alone that Jesus is with us, that the Spirit is with us, that the Advocate, the Helper, the Comforter is with us too. This is quite literally Jesus' prayer for us. And like a good coach, he makes sure we have what we need, even for the roughest of games. And I know this next part may sound a bit cheesy, but I mean it. He even makes sure we have a good meal. He even makes sure we are fed so that we can go into whatever the next quarter brings, knowing that he is with us. Thanks for joining us for this week's Sunday Sermon. For more information on growth groups or how to more fully embrace the life of faith, visit us at www.trinitylincoln.org.